Today's episode is a fun look at the Holdco phenomenon. Why so popular? And why now? Are they even a good idea? My guest is Kelsey Larrick, co-founder and CEO of an e-commerce holding company and co-founder of the Holdco Conference, Holdco Conf. Our conversation is anchored around a survey of Holdco operators that Kelsey and his team recently ran. A bunch of interesting findings here. And Kelsey, as a guy who is both a Holdco entrepreneur himself and the guy who runs a conference on the topic, brought lots of anecdotal color to the conversation. Also, check the show notes where we've linked to all 12 Acquiring Minds interviews with Holdco entrepreneurs. Please enjoy this interview with Kelsey Larrick of 365 Holdings. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. I want to share an update on the Acquisition Lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Dibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months, and he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Kelsey Lyric, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Good to be here, Will. Thanks for having me. Kelsey, you are the co-founder and CEO of 365 Holdings a holding company of e-commerce DTC businesses. You were an early guest on Acquiring Minds. You are also a co-founder of HoldcoConf, the unconference for holding company operators and entrepreneurs. And as part of the conference, you recently surveyed Holdco entrepreneurs to better understand this whole phenomenon of small business Holdcos. Today, we're going to hear what you learned from the survey results. But first, Kelsey, would you give us some quick background on who you are, please? For sure. And uh, again, thanks for having me back on. Uh, a number of years ago, my business partner and I uh, bought our first e-commerce business. Uh, prior to that, we had some small companies, but never really achieved much scale. If you fast forward from that first e-commerce business to today, we've got uh, a sizable team and a sizable portfolio of various e-commerce businesses selling mostly direct to consumer, a little bit on Amazon. Uh, we tend to get lumped into that uh, like e-commerce aggregator uh, world, uh, mm -hmm. although we have not raised any outside equity capital. We're, we're self-funded and uh, bootstrapped. Uh, we are an e-commerce uh, platform that buys and operates e-commerce businesses. Do you share revenue numbers across the entire portfolio? Is that something you can do? 
uh, revenue typically not, but headcount, we're just over 100 uh, globally and we're heavily vertically integrated. So in there, we have everything ranging from uh, executive kind of leadership uh, all the way down to production workers uh, and global contractors doing things like customer service or accounting. Uh, we're incredibly heavily vertical uh, in our supply chain. So we make some of the things that we sell and we also mm -hmm. pick back and ship many of the things that we sell. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, for, for, for reference, multiple eight figures of revenue. Okay, Kelsey. Um, and so tell us about the genesis of HoldcoConf. Uh, a couple of years ago, I met uh, John Wilson, I think also, who has been a guest uh, on your uh, show, the Wilson Companies here in Northeast Ohio. And I Ooh. realized John and I um, had some similarities, uh, similar point in, in life personally, with like uh, family and, and age and kids uh, and similar businesses. Revenue was in the neighborhood, headcount was in the neighborhood, uh, all of our problems were certainly uh, very similar, whether it was financing or shared services or acquisitions or hiring, like we just became fast friends and, and uh, we met, you know, through the magic of the internet. Um, and we realized that we both went to various industry conferences. I would go to e-commerce events. He would go to plumbing or HVAC events. Uh, we'd both find our ourselves at things like SM Bash or Capital Camp. But there really wasn't uh, a specific home for Holdco's. If you kind of identified as a primarily multi-business entrepreneur. If you said, you know, I own multiple companies, I'm the founder of a portfolio of businesses. I'm not really private equity, but I'm also not just a SaaS entrepreneur. I'm not just uh, a restaurant owner, whatever, whatever category you might be in. There just wasn't a, a home for that. So we set out to launch the home for that called HoldCoConf, which is an annual event where holding company founders, executives, investors, entrepreneurs meet for two and a half days of fun and learning because the challenges of running a portfolio of businesses are different than the challenges of scaling. Uh, even a roll-up just in one industry uh, is just very different. And the topics that we cover uh, for a couple of days of HoldCoConf is trying to bring the best and brightest together from small business holding companies to share best practices, build relationships, uh, have a lot of fun while we do it, and uh, kind of support small business holdcos. Mm -hmm. Awesome, Kelsey. Uh, two follow-up questions. First, interesting to hear you say that part of the ingredients of your chemistry with John is that you found that the problems that you have were similar. What you'll often hear about blue-collar businesses, field business, you know, field crew businesses, is that if you look under the hood of these businesses, you know, be it plumbing or HVAC or foundation repair or disaster remediation, that there's a lot of similarities. Like there, there's a lot of overlap, sure. and the problems are the same. But I wasn't ever sure that that actually extended to other categories of business. So interesting to hear that an e-commerce holding company, a quote, digital business, yep. and John's business, which is plumbing, plumbing, um, actually do under the hood kind of have a similar problem set. I forget who to credit it to, but somebody refers to um, the everything tastes like chicken layer of business, uh, meaning that finance is finance. You got to reconcile your books. Hiring is hiring. You got to have a process for bringing in good people. Uh, leadership and management and accountability, whether it's something like EOS or just some other system of daily operations, those transcend industries. So certainly, um, John and I might disagree on the finer points of um, how he tightens a wrench on something or how I you know, run a Facebook ad, and, and that's where our, our topics diverge. But that everything tastes like chicken layer of running a company uh, really is homogenous. And, and my opinion, I, I think in his and others of the experience of being an entrepreneur running more than one business, uh, there's a lot of commonalities there in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's really interesting, Kelsey. Um, and then the second question was, hold codes are hot. 
Um, this I've had many hold co-entrepreneurs on this podcast. Those episodes always really perform well. But the idea of owning multiple businesses without uh, you know applying this label to it um, is nothing new. Just like I guess search and buying a business is nothing new. But do, why do you think that it kind of became trendy in the last year, two, three? There's certainly a pocket of the internet that has some overlapping influences. Uh, I think you and I might have emailed about this, but there's probably an intersection of like um, Tim Ferriss, Robert Kiyosaki, and like Berkshire Hathaway or value investing. And if you put all that into a blender, you might get an entrepreneur that wants to run like a lean portfolio of businesses that can compound uh, retained earnings. And it's certainly easy to see um, some big names uh, that have holding companies, many of which have been guests on your podcast. I could rattle off the list of well-known names like Andrew Wilkinson at Tiny uh, or the Higgins at Chenmark or Brent B. Short Permanent Equity. There's a, there's a long list of, I think, people that have um, aspirational holding companies. And during ventures is on that list. There's others. of They publish content on the internet. They've been on podcasts. And it's very easy for somebody interested in ETA to when they approach uh, buying a business to say, hey, one is fun, but two or more sounds like a mm -hmm. real party. We should, we should do this portfolio thing. So I, I think that there's a, an intersection of kind of culture. And I do think it literally it comes down to the media that many of us might've consumed over the years, uh, both financial and otherwise. And then the prevalence of some really aspirational, really impressive stories being told about doing this at scale. There's also plenty of stories in any given industry about living one big business I think there is an awareness that deals are hard to find and it might be easier if your target is some revenue metric, call it 50 or $100 million, whatever it is, it might be easier to get there cobbling together a group of things than to find the one um, sports car, or the racehorse that you can grow to that level or take to that level. Uh, so I think there's kind of a confluence of factors that makes it popular for uh, hold entrepreneurs. And it ranges from culture to these impressive names that are uh, building in public to a degree and sharing some of their successes. I agree with all of that. And, I, and I'll just add to that, Kelsey. I mean, I really liked what you said about, you know, if, if one is good, two is better sort of thing. I think just with the increasing popularity of search and the idea of ETA buying an existing business, it's it was inevitable that people would eventually say to themselves, you know, further along the path, more mature in the business that they bought, would say to themselves, well, can I buy another one of these? And what does it look like if I if I really scale this pattern of buying a small business and, you know, do it again and again? So it's almost like less trendy and more just inevitable. I mean, it's it's kind of the next step as a, as a, as a business buyer that you're going to kind of arrive at. One of the debates I've had about this notion of focus versus... Um... Holdco. So I have a friend who has a, a very large, very successful financial publishing business. And we just had a fake Twitter beef about this. And it was kind of fun. But um, throughout the dialogue of, of giving each other a hard time about him focusing on a very big, very successful business I admire a lot and him kind of uh, teasing me, I realized that um, in many small businesses, I would include the ones that we own and operate, um, you can get 90% um, of the results with 10% of the effort. And yeah, 100% of the effort can get more than 90% of results, but there's some breakdown of that marginal effort. And for a high-strung entrepreneur that is trying to maximize their time, you might find yourself running a $3 million um, septic business and you realize you can do it in 20 hours a week or you can do it in 40, but the financial result is within you know a, a small percentage mm -hmm. point. Maybe you should work half time and go find something else. I've certainly mm -hmm. seen that happen in, in my business where could we put more effort? Yes. Is it marginally accretive? No, we should probably move on and capital allocate that time or those dollars to the next project.
because many small businesses have a constrained total addressable market. You can only grow it so profitably. And so inevitably, if you want to grow, you end up diversifying. I love that uh, point. And, and I'm going to say a kind of a similar point, but not from the kind of the resource allocation perspective, but from the ego perspective. You know, mm -hmm. if you're, I, I think that um, an ambitious entrepreneur who has big plans for him or herself, you know, to, to buy, a, to, to operate a $3 million septic business, that can be fantastic and great, but they might have a larger appetite or a larger self-image than that. Um, but they still love this kind of world of small business and they love, they love the idea of buying that business, that first step. But a Holdco path or a Holdco vision is a, is, is a way to play in small business, but do something big, not do something small. Um, and so it kind of scratches the, the, the ego itch, I think, for a lot of really ambitious entrepreneurs as well. I would also just maybe add the mathematical reality of um, if you do go fishing for bigger businesses and you're competing with independent sponsors and smaller private equity, um, maybe even the success ratio of stringing together a handful of 1.5 EBITDA businesses could be a lot easier than finding one that is three, four, or five million of EBITDA. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more buyers for those that are a lot more sophisticated and have better access to capital and resources. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reasons uh, that will push people to wanting to build a hold co. We're going to better survey that next year. That, that was one of my uh, learnings from this year's survey. You already know that business owners are making amazing use of virtual assistants, often based in the Philippines. And while virtual assistants are helpful, virtual professionals are transformative. More Staffing is a boutique agency that hires A players in the Philippines, not for simple tasks, but for deep competency work. Think operators, supply chain managers, controllers. More Staffing de-risks your engagement with a 12-month guarantee to you, and they provide coaching for six months to their talent when an engagement begins. That means your hire is coached in the background, no additional cost to you, so that your working relationship flourishes and is as successful as it can be. Global staffing is increasingly the norm, and building the muscle within your business to take advantage of it will be crucial in the years ahead. Speak with more staffing about the pool of capable, affordable managers they can connect you with. Check out morenow.co. That's morenow.co. Just before we get into the survey itself, uh, the survey results themselves, um, let's hear the counter arguments or the, what the detractors would say about uh, about this Holdco phenomenon. For sure. Uh, it, it's focus. Um, the uh, think canonical um, thing people point to is like the, the thought you have in the shower. Uh, and you can only really do it for one business when you're when you're not thinking, what is it you think about? What is the epiphany that you have at the gym or, or again in the shower when you have five minutes? And if you have two, three, four, ten businesses, uh, statistically speaking, it, it, you're just less likely to find that on lot. And so uh, I do think if you have a platform business that has really scalable levers and really, really high quality attributes, uh, a single business with 100% of an entrepreneur's focus uh, can go farther than a Holdco and can be a better decision based on your opportunity set, your risk appetite, and your skills. Uh, and I fully agree that that's a, a good thesis uh, on, the, on the other side of the argument. Mm -hmm. And I'll add to that too, that the, one of the things that I see the detractors say is a lot of people are kind of putting the cart before the horse here with their, with their Holdco vision. Let's mm. buy that first business, <laughs> make sure the transition is okay, learn how to operate. You know, there's a lot, there's, it, 
buying that first business is extremely challenging as this as this podcast talks about ad nauseum. Um, yep. So let's make sure you can do that and indeed like and want to do that before you talk about buying 10 of these, 10 of these guys. Yeah, we've gone through iterations of, of hold co-vision uh, up, down and sideways. Anybody that's followed like my journey at 365, it's been an interesting road. Um, there's been some very recent uh, people I look up to that have unhold code uh, and kind of focused down on a single business. Uh, I would uh, agree with your assessment. If you're listening to this as a, a searcher, uh, leave the hold co thing second. Just like find a company first, and um, <laughs> let, let's talk about business number two once business number one is is chugging along. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Great. All right, Kelsey. So so give us uh, a minute just on set the context of this survey methodology. Who who you pinged sure. to participate? Yep. Uh, I looked back and realized that there's many. Um, organizations or communities that I follow or I'm a customer of that produce a report. So in e-commerce, I'm a member of e-commerce fuel. Each year, Andrew Darian publishes the state of the merchant. And if you're in e-commerce, you're going to read this thing. I submit survey data. So do hundreds of other people. I read it like, like it's a, uh, a very important document. Um, Stanford search fund in your world is very popular. The guys at SIG did the self-funded survey. Uh, if you're up market and you're raising capital, you might read the McGuire Woods uh, survey. Uh, there's industry surveys everywhere. Um, and I realized that in this pocket of entrepreneurship called Holdco's, there was a lot of questions that were the same. People would come to our conference, Holdco Conf, seeking some of those things. I'd see it happen in Twitter conversations. I'd see it on Search Funder. And just the conference isn't enough to, to handle that. So we wanted to publish a report and begin to annually collect some data from self-identified Holdco's and try to get some consensus on some of these things as a better uh, North Star or a way to point people towards an answer. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And, and yeah, um, I, I think that they are really powerful um, kind of stakes in the ground marketing tools for the, the organizations that put them out. So uh, well done on jumping on it. Thank so, you. Um, all right. So, so tell us kind of what, what did the aggregate, aggregate response um, data set look like? How many people responded? So for sure. Uh, real quick, I have a printed copy of the survey for anybody that's watching on video. Um, but you, if you want to download the survey, go to yeah. holdcosurvey.com. You can download it. It's free. Um, that's where you can go reference all this. Um, in the intro, we, we break down the aggregate of the survey respondents. We had just over 100 uh, survey respondents. Uh, and most of it was a little bit of marketing from social media for the Holdco brand and some outreach that John and I did uh, asking people directly if they would participate. Great. So let's get into some of the, the key findings, Kelsey. Sure. Uh, kind of take, take us through. What was, what was one of the, the findings that jumped out at you? For sure. Uh, the first thing is that um, most hold codes are smaller than we think. So it's easy to go on the internet and see uh, a giant name like Constellation Software or Permanent Equity or insert your favorite um, you know, successful hold code that you're, you're following. Um, and then you get down to somebody like a Kelsey or John Wilson or, or even an anonymous Twitter account, and you see all this content. Uh, from survey respondents, most Holdco's or self-identified Holdco entrepreneurs uh, are much earlier in their journey and are much smaller than even I imagined. So a couple of insights. The survey was obviously done over the internet and it was um, anonymous. So we sourced respondents from Twitter, LinkedIn, Search Funder, and outreach to our networks. Uh, and our survey sample size is a function of our outreach. So there mm -hmm. are obviously many more holdcos or um, entrepreneurs that didn't respond and we're only working off the data that we have. We have some survivorship bias there. Yeah. Um, but out of our 100 plus 
survey respondents, half weren't even eight figures in revenue, and some of them only had one business. So to the average um, search funder or acquiring <laughs> minds listener, you just assume every Holdco is obviously eight figures, obviously has two or more businesses. Yet we had people responding to a survey where many of them were much smaller in revenue. I'm not um, dismissing them uh, by, by business size. They're just anecdotally smaller. And some legitimately call themselves a Holdco with only one operating business. Now, certainly their business plan is to grow. Uh, but again, today they are functionally uh, a single holding Holdco. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that ties back to our point about um, how much aspiration there is swirling around this concept. People kind of uh, self-identifying as Holdco entrepreneurs, even though maybe technically they don't qualify. It's super easy to get the echo chamber of listening to the Acquiring Minds podcast and everybody's rolling up everything and all multiples go to the moon and there's no businesses left. Yet the reality is most of these hold codes that we're all following, myself included, are, might be smaller than you think. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Uh, and, and does that square with your kind of anecdotal experience of the, of the folks who came, of the attendees at HoldcoConf last year? There's definitely a distribution um, of small to large. And um, our survey set internally for the conference last year anchored slightly larger. Uh, that also might be um, uh, some outliers to the top pulling that number up. What about, I, I, hear, I see here in our notes that you had an observation on headcount. For sure. Uh, back to your comment earlier about John and I having a relationship and even starting a conference together and having mm -hmm. very different businesses. Uh, in a guy in a truck business, which I would call John, plumbing, HVAC, um, all those traditional service businesses, uh, revenue per field employee is a great metric. And many people overly simplify that down to just revenue per employee. And so you might look at Google's revenue per employee or Facebook's revenue per employee. Uh, and it gets to be incredibly deceiving. So we try to use uh, many insights in the report um, as a, a measure against size. And so we, we, we reported against sometimes headcount, sometimes against revenue, sometimes against number of portfolio companies, but we're breaking down these, these insights. And what we realized is, is headcount is just very deceiving. Some businesses just have lower revenue per employee or higher. And that tends to get into a function of like, do you own restaurants or do you own software as a service? And so that <laughs> yeah. metric uh, gets to be incredibly deceiving unless you're very much apples to apples. Um, it's just not a very insightful uh, way to compare things. And did you come to one metric to rule them all that you liked? Uh, we ended up defaulting more often than not to global revenue as the best way to analyze that. Looking at our notes here, one of the other things that you observed was how, you know, it's not just do you have one business or do you have multiple? There are, there is a spectrum like, like with anything of, of Holdco's and things change depending on the size of Holdco that you are. What did you find there? I think one of the questions, especially if you're um, maybe in the Acquiring Minds audience and you're one of those smaller operators buying your first business, you're trying to get to eight figures. Uh, one of the common que questions is likely, when do things change? When do I graduate from SBA financing and I go get you know a big boy bank loan with, with no PG? When do I hire uh, a high, uh, highly compensated uh, head of finance? When, when does my business really evolve in growing a hold co? That's easier to answer industry specific. If you're in e-commerce, you can go join an e-commerce community. If you're in plumbing, you can go to an industry conference. There's a, there's a better trodden path of just growing a single uh, service or product business of industry norms of when successful competitors have done things. 
It's mm-hmm. less obvious when that happens in the hold co space. And that's one of the things we wanted to key in on is what are the revenue benchmarks when you should start poking your head up to make meaningful changes in the business? So a couple of things happen, uh, according to survey data, really around 50 million is a, is a good place to start thinking about meaningful changes. And then certainly these changes are ubiquitous at nine figures. Uh, I had thought some of these things happened earlier. We frankly, as an organization, are, are not at 50 million yet. We, we've tried to make some of these changes. Uh, I thought they happened at 20 or 25 or 30. Um, but really, it's 50 million when a couple things happen. So one, the presence of outside equity. Uh, in all of our survey insights, you're much more likely to have outside equity over 50 million of revenue. Uh, the sophistication of your debt stack goes up dramatically. Uh, many sellers staying on post-close and operational roles looking maybe more like a traditional private equity kind of rolled equity scenario. Um, leadership positions having like tangible real equity grants, not just profit sharing or synthetic profit interests of some kind. Uh, and then hiring um, executives to lead M&A. Uh, that handful of things like really is incredibly rare below $50 million in uh, global revenue. Your point about the outside equity at $50 million, do you think, what do you think the... Um the direction of causation is there. Maybe there, is it holding companies only get to 50 million? To get to 50 million, you probably need to have worked with investors and brought in outside equity. Or once you get to that level, you're kind of a sophisticated enough business that you're just gonna, it's just from pure kind of capital allocation math, you're going to start seeking outside equity to to accelerate your growth. Uh, I don't know that I have a precise answer to that because it is a bit chicken and the egg. And it's a bit um, a function of the strategy of the Holdco founder. Uh, so I don't know that I have a conclusive answer uh, to that. I suspect it's a bit of both. Okay. On to the next finding, Kelsey. Sure. One of the other main topics that is a constant conversation um, is how to build a team, how to hire and incentivize and train leaders or operators and this entire notion of HR. So you're scaling a Holdco, um, what services are at the parent company? What services are at the Opco? Are we doing shared services? Uh, what level of seniority? There's just this kind of, how do we staff this machine uh, is a, an ongoing topic. Uh, what was a surprising insight is that even some very small hold codes, uh, again, those seven figure uh, hold codes, report using profit sharing and phantom equity to incentivize compensation of leaders even early on in the journey, which I would not have anticipated being the case. Uh, quite frequently, the first uh, real executive hires tend to be either finance or operations. That's not surprising to me, at least. Uh, once those bases are covered, uh, marketing and HR are the ones that quickly follow. The takeaway to me, if you're listening to this and you either have a business and you're trying to, to go hold co or you have a very small hold co is, as you're thinking about the things you can delegate as an entrepreneur and the way you can staff up, what it se- the data seems to say is the first move is finance or ops. And the second move is marketing and HR, meaning as a founder, you need to retain marketing and HR longer and you need to be more comfortable running those functions yourself until you can afford to hire somebody to help with those. That's an interesting thought uh, or, or observation because a lot of people in this world come from financial backgrounds. Uh, and, and so interesting that, this, that the data suggests that that's also one of the first things offloaded to, to, a, to an employee. Theoretically, it's the place where um, HQ, as it were, can add value to the operating companies. So if you presume that you have a decentralized model and you have operators making decisions on things like hiring, 
things like marketing spend, and maybe those decisions are perhaps pushed down. The place you could add value at the senior level or at HQ is through high-level uh, CFO, COO type of work. At 365, what was the sequencing of, of these leadership positions? That's a good question. Um, I think for us, it would go um, marketing first, because e-commerce tends to be a marketing forward mm. business. Mm. Uh, finance was retained, retained a little longer. Um, HR was the last thing we brought in. Um, for us, ops and supply chain has been kind of a, a winding road. But again, e-commerce native, I think you move marketing to the front end uh, in my world. I think that's probably different for some others. Great. Now, one of the things you've already touched on it, one of the things that comes up again and again in, in thinking about Holdco's is, is a centralized model or a decentralized yep. model. Centralized being where the mothership or corporate or whatever, you know, where kind of where the Holdco operator founder sits um, is providing shared services to all of the Holdco's, to all of the Holdco portcos, the uh, portfolio companies. Logic being that you should be able to get some scale from that. So if you have one HR person to you know manage hiring at your four different portfolio companies, yep. it's a great use of resources because you just have to do that one hire for four businesses. But then you'll, you'll hear detractors to that logic as well and that it just isn't ever quite as clean as the logic would suggest. So what did you see here? Uh, in the data, uh, nobody reporting large revenues. So going to go back to that $50 million bogey. Virtually nobody there is using any semblance of vertical integration. Uh, the trend of building a decentralized hold co uh, where operations are pushed down uh, is very much in the data. Uh, mm -hmm. Many leadership teams are very small, just two or three people. So I think the canonical reference being, you know, however many people are in Omaha, you can, you know, feed them on a couple pizzas at Berkshire uh, seems to be true of scaled hold codes in the small business space, mm -hmm. uh, just a handful. And just using your your own hold co again, Kelsey, um, maybe e-commerce is different again because, um, you know, there's less moving parts in some sense. If you're doing your own, you know, picking and shipping, picking, packing and shipping, that, that, that adds a whole another element, certainly. Um, but what have you found in terms of your attempts uh, at centralization? Uh, yeah, we've had fits and starts on our decision making there. Uh, historically, we've been uh, very centralized and very verticalized because that um, there's a thesis around that. I think that our opinion on that has uh, evolved and we're looking to um, let's fragment uh, the brands into some more uh, like divisional structures as we go. So we are moving more decentralized at 365. More decentralized. Yes. You're moving more decentralized. Okay. And let's turn to the next finding. For sure. Uh, again, with a diversified portfolio of businesses, uh, there are certainly some roll-ups in our sample. So I only buy landscaping or I only buy SaaS or whatever my, my thesis might be. Um, many holdcos are industry diverse. And we have some, some stats on that uh, in the survey. But I wanted to get a sense of kind of expectations or trends for 2023, kind of an mm -hmm. economic outlook. We're recording this in August. The year's half over. We started the survey back in January. Um, but I think it's indicative of small business entrepreneurship writ large. There is um, several hundred portfolio companies represented in the 100-plus survey respondents. <clears throat> and again, our, our survey respondents are these aspirational small business entrepreneurs. So I thought it'd be an interesting place to get a diverse pulse on small business. 
one trend we wanted to talk about was global hiring. I think you can't, um, you know, listen to a podcast or scroll a Twitter feed or anything without hearing about, you know, hiring a VA in the Philippines. Uh, and so we asked about that. What was interesting is um, we had overwhelmingly strong response. People said they, many people were doing it um, and nobody was dissatisfied. However, 76% of survey respondents who were globally outsourcing stated they were still figuring it out, meaning it wasn't perfect. It wasn't terrible. They weren't throwing it out. It was a common trend. It was a growing uh, topic in their business, but it was not figured out. Uh, most of the talent is being sourced from the Philippines, uh, and more than half of survey respondents had global talent. We assumed our audience was U.S.-based entrepreneurs. So um, that hype apparently is real. Uh, the success is uh, in progress for most small business holdos. Have you guys used uh, talent in the Philippines or elsewhere? For sure. We have scaled that up ourselves in the last uh, two years. And we can, I, I would say, um, I'd like to think we're better than still figuring it out. Uh, but uh, like many things in our business, we're still figuring it out. Uh, and I'm a proponent of it. I think it's a good thing. And, and when you guys were solidly in the still figuring it out bucket, what was the, hard, the hardest thing or two to figure out? Cultural adaptation for our U.S. team of how to effectively leverage um, global resources and to document, systematize, and build process for um, a part of the team that's not physically present and has a different operating cadence and culture than the in-office physical co-located team. Mm -hmm. So could I distill that to the one word of kind of communication, which sure. is often, which yep. is often the sticking point in a, in a intercontinental uh, operation? I've got one more um, insight on the expectation. I wanted to just get a really rough economic forecast, if you will. Um, and so the, the survey shook out from respondents. 11% expected a down or flat year on revenue. Uh, however, 56% are worried about a recession and soft demand. So said differently, um, a very small segment of the survey thought they'd have a bad year and everybody else said they were growing. Yet more than half said recession or soft demand, which seems to be counterintuitive. So I'm not sure if Holdco CEOs are optimists uh, or risk takers, mm -hmm. or if they answered that saying, you know what, I'm gonna buy some more revenue this year and my whole portfolio will inevitably grow and I can uh, outpace a recession or I can outpace um, soft demand. Uh, with all the talk about interest rates and cost of capital, that was the lowest rated concern on the radar for Holdco CEOs. Again, maybe we're all just uh, risk-taking daredevils, um, or maybe the 1% um, gyration really is um, not that critical in the grand scheme of things. It's hard to tell, but uh, soft outlook economically uh, paired with a non-concern for interest rates and expected revenue growth is kind of the summary for the uh, economic forecast. Hmm. Do you think the lack of interest rate concern is because if you're a Holdsco, recognizing that a lot of these respondents are Holdsco aspirants, uh, not, not actual Holdscos, uh, is that versus a lot of my guests who have one business in SBA loan and, you know, they're debt to the debt ratio is, is you know, it's, it's, a, it's a much tight, it's a much tighter, <laughs> tighter tolerance there. If you're a holds code, you got 10 million, 20 million, $50 million of revenue. Uh, you know, you just got more cash to play with. So it's not going to asphyxiate you if the, if the interest rates yeah. move. 
in theory, if you're a hold good that's five years in and you've bought one company every year, you are slowly delevering, diversifying, and de-risking. And yes, interest rates are a real cost of doing business. But as time goes on and your balance sheet gets better, they have potentially less of an impact uh, on your operation. Excellent, Kelsey. Uh, were, were there any more or was that it? I wanted to ask you a couple closing questions. We can move on to the closing questions. There is um, a lot to go read in the report. Uh, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to get all the, the nitty gritty details, go download it. But those are the things I wanted to, uh, to share today. And give us the URL again. Yeah, it's uh, holdcosurvey.com, H-O-L-D-C-O survey.com. Uh, Kelsey, just so last year's Holdco Conf was the inaugural uh, conference. The second annual is, is coming up when? Uh, September 18th, 19th, and 20th in Cleveland, Ohio. Great. So in about six weeks in Cleveland. Um, just uh, what, what were some of your takeaways from that first event last year? Just g give us a picture for those of us who were not there. Yeah, um, I think John and I set out to have fun and not lose money, and we were successful at both of those endeavors. So <laughs> proud about that and uh, happy to do it again. Um, we really wanted to build an event that um, was a lot of fun and, and very valuable, but really built relationships and didn't just have people sitting in a hotel ballroom for, for hours on end. So we use a non-traditional venue. Um, we invest a lot in kind of food and drink and experiences and activities. And the lessons we really learned from last year is that we could build a little more structure around that. So last year we had a bunch of uh, keynotes and some small uh, group discussions. This year we're changing up that format to really build some better interaction and problem solving amongst Holdco's. That happened informally last year, uh, but one of the few pieces of critical feedback we got, and I, I tried to get as much as I could. Um, thankfully everybody enjoyed their time last year. Um, the few pieces of critical feedback was to better structure um, problem solving. And so this year we're gonna try to orchestrate um, uh, some intentional connections and intentional topics. They bubbled up organically, but in two and a half days with 100 plus people to meet, um, I think some intentionality around uh, helping people solve the top issues on their mind uh, will increase the value add and the productivity of the time people spend together this year. And so we're excited about that. You know, Kelsey, one of the, the things that uh, we haven't talked about, and I'm not sure it was in the survey or not, but is um, I, I wonder what the, the temperature among Holdco operators, entrepreneurs is for deal flow itself, for access to more opportunities. Is that, is that something you have any sense of? That's a great question. We had deal flow questions in the survey, and I don't remember if we talked about that in particular. Um, that might be a good one to add for next year. Um, okay. Our sponsor for the survey this year was Axial, who was our headlining sponsor for the conference last year. They're obviously a deal sourcing uh, platform. Uh, there's a recording that we have on our YouTube channel from their talk last year that talked about some really macro data. That thing's kind of interesting. If anybody hasn't seen that and you want to know the deal flow dynamics, that was interesting. Obviously, that's from the vendor perspective, uh, not from the operator perspective. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Axial and, and kind of something you said at the top when talking about the gap that Holdco Comp fills, uh, how many private equity types are there? I would say it's less than 20% would be a traditional um, fund model based uh, private equity. I think mm -hmm. all of us call ourselves investors. All of us call ourselves, quote unquote, micro private equity. I have a Holdco. Um, in the Holdco survey, which again, 
survey respondents might be indicative of the conference, but not 100% the same. Uh, in the survey, uh, many of the survey respondents were self-funded, did not have outside capital. So I think at Holdco Conf this year, I'm hoping that 20% of our attendees have committed capital, whether it's a fund or syndication um, that are attending. Tell us the dates again, Kelsey, the URL, and then I think you got uh, a code for the audience. Uh, I do. So uh, Holdco Conf, H-O-L-D-C-O-C-O-N-F.com is the website, September 18th through 20th in Cleveland. And uh, for listeners of Acquiring Minds, uh, you can use M-I-N-D-S, Minds, uh, off a ticket uh, for a special discount on your ticket purchase. And can you tell us what that discount is going to be? Uh, we will do uh, 600 off a single ticket, and we need to make a second code off two tickets. So just email in if you need help with that. It's events at holdcoconf.com. But single tickets are all-inclusive with hotel and everything. And uh, it's $600 off of the website price with M-I-N-D-S. Excellent. Thank you for, for offering that to, to us, Kelsey. And if people want to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way? Uh, I am easily found on Twitter. My email is easily guessed and uh, on LinkedIn as well. Uh, and if it's anything about the conference, you can just email in uh, to events at holdcoconf.com. Uh, people have been pinging me about the conference, and I've been very politely shuffling them over to the events team. Um, thankfully, we have some good help there this year, and I'm excited about that. Kelsey Larrick, thank you very much for coming on. A, a really interesting look into inside this, uh, this Holdco phenomenon. Great. Again, congratulations on a great idea to kind of be the survey around this space. I love it. Appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me and uh, appreciate being here.